it was incredibly tough. Like I think we started at two o'clock in the afternoon and rode through the night and finished at like three o'clock in the morning. Um, not sure Jared would have appreciated me sending him a message at three in the morning saying, I won. Um, <laughs> he was probably awake watching the, li- the live update. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Today, we have a really exciting announcement that we are launching our second podcast, the Alt Route Podcast. We're finding more and more people are turning to alternative cycling, training and racing events, and we think it's worth talking about. Therefore, the podcast will be bringing you training and racing advice, event updates, and analysis of the professional gravel racing scene. Now, this podcast is going to be hosted by our cycling coach here at Trivelo, Nick Lacandro. Not only is Nick a highly talented cyclist himself, He's an enthusiast about everything to do with off-road cycling, gravel, mountain bike, and anything adventure-related. This alt-route podcast is dedicated to covering the exciting and challenging off-road and alternate events that are growing enormously in popularity around the world. So if you're a fan of anything off-road, then this podcast is for you. And Nick will also be joined in special episodes by professional cyclist Brendan Trekkie-Johnston. Trekkie is a five-time Australian mountain bike champion, winner of the Dirty Warney, Honorable National Road Series overall winner, third in the men's national elite road race, top 10 on the general classification of the Tour Down Under, national gravel champion, and one of 35 athletes selected in this year's Lifetime Grand Prix Series in America. He's also a member of the giant off-road team and he'll be joining Nick to discuss a lot of the races and events happening throughout the year. So in today's episode, we are joined by both Nick and Trekkie to talk about the new podcast, some of the pro races that have just taken place, and more about off-road training and racing. Nick, uh, big welcome to you, new host of the Alt Route podcast. Thank you for jumping on. Always nice to be back for my second Trivelo podcast, Geordie. Yeah, very good to have you here. And uh, Trekkie, a very big welcome for your first time on the uh, Trivelo, po- Trivelo coaching podcast, but your second time as you appeared on the, the first podcast with Nick. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, it's exciting to kind of welcome in this um, Alt Route podcast uh, with nick and um yeah obviously it was episode one so it's um yeah it's nice to kind of tie it into to your audience as well yeah now we can't wait to chat everything about um the racing scene that you are both involved in and we want to start off with uh, you just did a pretty epic ride on the weekend and it is called the belgium waffle race and my question to you off air just then was why is it called that and uh are you do you have any answer for why it's called the belgium waffle race <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure of the exact like origin of, of that, but I think it's more, I don't know whether it's like a bit of a, um, well, the Americans don't really do piss takes, but it's like a bit of a, like, um, homage to like, uh, the classics in, um, Belgium and it's, they, they call, um, these like the monuments of gravel basically. So there's like four of them, I think, um, and they're all across America, but they're, yeah, they're basically trying to emulate um, the classics, but with with more of a gravel kind of style. Um, they spoke a bit with Ten, Lawrence Tendam um, about it in the press conference the other day, and you know he was drawing some ties between um, like the classics that he's done a lot of, obviously um, in the World Tour, and then yeah, this type of racing here. But um, it's actually got a really cool um, 
vibe about it. And I think, yeah, that, that kind of classics kind of scene kind of somehow um, does come into it a bit. That's an awesome answer and that's kind of where we want to start going with this conversation because um, a lot of our audience won't be as familiar with the whole scene and gravel riding um, as you two are. And so, um, take us for, through this first race that you've just done. Um, it's cool that it's kind of a, a spring classics, um, uh, I guess, uh, exactly what you just said. It's, it's almost like the gravel version of a spring, of a spring classics race. Uh, talk us through the, the whole race. How did you go? Um, talk you through kind of what, what, the, what the course is, how long it was. Um, yeah, again, especially for our audience who won't be familiar with it. Um, yeah, run us through how it all panned out. It's, it's one of the races that I kind of identified as uh, like a big kind of um, gravel race that I could kick off my season here with. And to be honest, I haven't actually raced a gravel that much at home. Like it's, there, there aren't that many races and um, yeah, it just, I haven't been doing it that long really. Um, maybe I've done five races. Like, um, but so to come over, I just wanted to do a race before the this big series I'm doing, the Lifetime Series kicks off, um, which I spoke about with Nick in our episode. Um, and this was like a precursor to that and most of the guys would be there. So it was just a good chance to do do the event and um, see how, you know, I fared. And I, I'll, this trip I'll get a gravel race in and, and round one this weekend, the mountain bike race as well. So it's just a really good, yeah, way to kick it off. But the race itself is... Um, yeah, it's strange. Like, uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. Like, I'd done a bit of research on it, and it's basically like mountain biking, road road cycling, and gravel racing in in the one event. It's two hundred something, two hundred five k's or something like one hundred thirty or forty miles. Um, I think there was like three and a half thousand foot. Um, so pretty pretty big day out. Um, but yeah, like I mean. This oh my god the tire the chat around tires and bikes and setup and everything is insane I've never seen anything like it um, people were blown away with what I was using because it was like way way bigger tires and stuff but this is more of an Aussie thing um, but yeah it's it's quite unique this event and I think the San Diego one is is the original um, so it's quite famous and yeah it, it involves like single track rocky single track to like kind of long 10 15 minute road kind of climbs and um a little like flat sort of back back roads and stuff um and there's people on road bike like i would say probably 70 percent of the people on road bikes um yeah it's it's unusual um but yeah personally i yeah i was on a real gravel setup so like um quite conservative and and big tires so like pretty slow on the road and like i was saying people couldn't believe I was actually using that, um, yeah, that setup. So, um, yeah, I guess if you're new to gravel, you um, yeah, it, it, the tire talk is a lot. Like, if you're using a road bike, road tires, obviously you're super fast on the road, um, but there's risks when you get off road, um, and yeah, vice versa. So, if you're using big gravel, big gravel tires and a pure gravel setup, then uh, you're slow on the road. Um, so, anyway, after that kind of um played out with with pre-race then uh yeah into the race i mean it actually went really well for me um yeah i just managed to kind of follow the guys around and made the front group and then um yeah from there with russell finsterwald and um jasper uh um, dutchy we got away with like 40k to go and um yeah i kind of exploded on the final climb and, and and came in for fourth got caught um 
But to be honest, at the start, I was probably just happy with the top 10 in that field. There's some really strong guys um, in this scene. And, yeah, I was happy to get in there and get familiar with, yeah, racing against this this field, which I'm going to be for the rest of the year. So, um, but I'll tell you what, as a unique event, um, we wouldn't have anything like it. There would be absolutely uproar if we sent um, people on road bikes down, down these courts to these courses and single track and stuff there it would not fly back home but there's 2000 people doing it so take take us <clears throat> that's unreal take take us through your your gear selection were, were you happy with uh, your final decisions and was it detrimental to your performance in the end or was it a positive yeah I, you know what before the race um, with all the talk cuz I did a press conference and stuff um, with a lot of the front runners and um, yeah, I was getting some strange looks and strange kind of, I mean, people were like, I was on like 45 mil tires, which is like quite big. Um, but that's what I use back home. And I don't know, I just like the safety and the um, compliance of it. It's a bit more comfortable and you can kind of just let it go a bit more with, without the risk of um, puncturing. But um, yeah, to be honest, most of the guys in the front group were on either 32 or 35 mil pretty much road tires um which is a big difference like it's a big difference in rolling um which in fact i thought was not such a concern but then maybe post-race i'm like well maybe it's a thing maybe it's more of a thing because i i do the local kind of bunch rides on my gravel bike with 45 mil tires and it's not a problem but um i guess against yeah i don't know i'll I was, I was, before the race, I was trying to like hang strong with my mindset and um, stick with it. And I think post-race, I probably would have just gone down to maybe a 40. Um, so minor decrease in size, but I think still that would be bigger than everyone else um, anyway. So I don't know. It's probably something I'll learn more about throughout the year. But um, then I was saying to myself like, well, um, maybe I wouldn't have made it to the the point at, where there was three of us left, you know, if I had if I had some more tires, maybe I took a risk and um, got a puncture or a crash or whatever, you know. Like it's it's hard to say whether it was a good or bad choice, um, but yeah, maybe just something slightly smaller. But yeah, if people are getting into this world of gravel cycling, they'll um, they'll come across this um, at every event, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's one of the really cool things too, Trekkie, about this style of racing is that like we talk about road racing, everyone's kind of got pretty similar bikes, pretty similar tyres, pretty similar rim widths when you come into this world and there's so many different things people talk about, um, whether it's tyres, aero bars, um, which is kind of another controversial thing uh, in itself. But um, are you someone that like Dylan Johnson who wants all the aero stuff and he's gone in and done wind tunnel testing with all specific gravel um, and it's such a dynamic and um, discipline that's ever changing and it's not just for the pros but you see so many um, just your general riders talking about this stuff as well Um, so it's pretty exciting I reckon and it gives a really nice different component um, to it. Yeah absolutely and like you say with and the same with mountain bike you know to be honest um, especially like once you get into some more sort of cross country you you, get yeah refining the tire selection a bit more but like longer stuff you're really not making many changes like you probably you probably get one or two tires that you would use um typically 
and maybe change the size um, marginally. But I don't think the yeah the disadvantage or advantage to be gained in on the mountain bike is and the same for the road um, is much like maybe on the road you run twenty eight or twenty five like it's not it's not crazy and you probably just get used to running something and stick with it. Um, but what gravel has is um, like all these variables where you can make gains somewhere, but you're, you're losing out somewhere else. So like on the weekend, at one point, every single person had the perfect setup in the, like at one point in the race, you were, you were on the best, the best bike possible, but there's not, there was not a bike for the whole day, you know? And that's the same um, with all the other gravel races. Like, um, you know, whether you're carrying like a pack or, um, you know, you're carrying a pack, you've got all the hydration, you've got, you know, you've got sufficient hydration, you're going to be sorted for the day. You're not going to lose out on um, running out of water, but is it heavier? Is it, um, you know, less aero? Or um, I think they found it was actually more aero, but, um, yeah, you know, those sort of things. It's There's so many decisions to be made um, and, like, what I'm finding is like, yeah, there's people who are right across it and yeah, I'd like to be one of those, but it's, it's not something you just walk into and, um, without experience from, yeah, doing events before I think. Yeah. Is that something you want to get interested in and find out, are you a person who wants to really study up that and, and get across that? Or is it something you, you think, well, maybe if I just train harder, um, I'll be strong enough no matter what I ride. How do you, where do you see yourself sitting in that that area uh for me i think um i just want to be in the ballpark with that sort of stuff like i don't want to be doing anything stupid um where i'm at a big yeah kind of disadvantage i think that's and just thinking you're macho and um strong enough to yeah overcome it or whatever but um you know let the legs do the talking i think you need to be in the ballpark like it's a it's a high level that um i'm going to be racing at and and even for the punters you know like you shouldn't be handicapping yourself just just from I don't know you don't want to call it laziness, but like lack of uh, research or preparation. Um, I think it it probably it's like the same in triathlon. Like you know, there's probably a thousand little pieces that you could put into your day that are gonna um, help you, and and they're probably easy to do if you're well prepared. You know, like transition, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's yeah probably a good idea to handicap yourself just from yeah not not yeah i don't think i'd do the stuff like so much you know study myself um other than just out training on the bike like trying different things a bit but also even that takes time and um so i think if there's there's actually a lot of guys who who um have already done it and and the information is there i guess it's just a matter of like applying it to your particular bike and your kind of style of riding um and, and yeah, working it in that way. With this style of racing too, is your decisions are amplified because of the time. Like if you look at Unbound, it's 10 hours. So um, where you're doing a 60K road race may not matter as much, but I think every decision now is amplified and can have a significant impact when you're racing over this kind of distance. I love that point because it's that makes it both exciting for the sport but also terrifying because if you make a mistake, it's really going to cost you. Um, I was going to say, Dad, it might remind you of the early days of triathlon when everything was so new and everyone's just figuring things out and trying stuff for the first time. It does make it um, kind of a really exciting sport to be involved in. Yeah, I also uh, kind of worry too that, you know, there were so many 
people who were so ahead of the game in the early days of triathlon had such a huge advantage because their equipment was far superior to uh, so people who didn't have that access to, you know, we just didn't have time trial bars in those days. I'm talking, you know, 1980s. Um, the very first set of time trial bars came out, I think even in the tour, Greg LeMond had them in 1989 or 88 where he ended up winning the tour um, on the time trial, uh, last stage of the time trial. And th- that equipment selection was kind of key. Um, and can be make or break at that level. So, so it's really you don't want to be left behind, do you? You want to you want to be in, with the pack in in not only in fitness and in preparation, but in your equipment has to be at the level that's not going to hinder your performance. And that's kind of where I'm, I'm, you know, I see this as an exciting period for you to to really get get as you said, you made such a good point. Find the people who've already. Have already trialed all this stuff, and and then use their knowledge to to see if it works for you, and and uh, see how you know if you do those bunch rides where you're riding 45 mil tires, you know, go and do that same ride using 35 mil tires, and see if there's any difference in, you know, just do your own little experiments about how you perform, just changing one thing, um, and they're the things that are that are the, the kind of the the trailblazing. Um, things that you're going to go right. This this is too big a, a gap from what I should be using. So I, I do want to keep this conversation going about the racing and the epitome is the the lifetime Grand Prix that you've you've touched on, and I'll get you guys to talk about that in a sec. But I want to take it kind of upper level, just to the overall sport of gravel. And Nick, you've started the Alt Route podcast. Um, give us a bit of an insight into why you started it, and you know what your goal is, and, and why you love this side of of cycling and, and gravel riding and, and kind of adventure riding. Yeah, it's. I think there's. And this is something that um, Trek and I discussed on the first episode. Is just um, how it differs from other style of racing. Um, and I think, um, and the more and more I think about it, because I get asked this a lot, I think just how inclusive it is and the way that it caters for a wide variety of people. Um, you know, we've we've all done road racing, um, and I love that as well. But you can go to a race have a bad day, get dropped in the first 10Ks and then you're riding the next 50Ks solo by yourself um, and your race is done. But you can go to a gravel event and you can be doing it just because you want to explore um, a new part of the state or the country or the world. So just the the scenery that's there um, and even like there's so many different types of gravel as well. You can have hard-packed um, gravel that's really fast and fun. You can have stuff that's more technical and rutted out fire trail. Um, you can be just wanting to do it for the challenge of the distance and the duration, or you can be, um, you know, like Trekkie, wanting to do a, a series like this and be highly competitive. So it just caters for so many people. And going and racing Unbound last year, there was like 3,000 people on the start line, and you've got people that are taking 20 hours to complete it and are just there for the challenge of it. Um, and then you've got the guys racing it, um, you know, as a part of a 250,000 uh, American prize purse. So just what a wide variety that I don't think you get in other, um, you know, aspects of cycling, which is why I think it's so good. And Trekker, you touched on the fact that, you know, the atmosphere around the race on the weekend was so good. And Nick, I know you've you've said that you loved, you know, going over to the States and going to these things. And um, cycling is such a huge sport over here, especially because the population is so big. But there's just so many more cyclists than probably what we're used to. Um, and I, that's another part of why you love it is the atmosphere is so great, right? 
Um, actually, on on Sunday, um, uh, one of the guys high up at Giant was actually um, taking on the the race himself. So I actually just and I had nowhere else to be because I I um, finished and um, so I just hung out at the finish for. Um, I mean, he took. I think he took twelve hours to do it, um, or close to. Um, and I took six, so I just because I hung out at the finish having a beer. And um, but what was interesting is, um, and it's that's more of a triathlon thing too, I think, or like Ironman. You know, there's people finishing all the time, but here, like as well, it's kind of amplified for for cycling. They um, there was people coming in all day, and like the their kind of crew were there assembled, and like everyone's so amped and like yeah, so pumped for these finishes, like you know, everyone's, it's a little bit cliche, but like everyone is achieving um, their own kind of um, goal that day, which um, is really, you know, that's that's something that road racing will never have. Um, and yeah, it, it's just the nature of um, how it is. You know, you can't have people out on the roads for 12, 13 hours. You know, you can't just shut the roads for that long. Um, gravel cycling, they can they can have it on back roads where it's not a problem to kind of have half the road closed or sections and and you know so i think um yeah the atmosphere is is fantastic and everyone was pumped um i think it's a bit i keep saying it's a bit different over here um they seem like they're more expecting uh, accepting of you know the challenge and like like i was saying with the course itself and um how challenging parts of it were, um, but everyone was coming in. They were amped, you know. No, no one seemed to be. Yeah, they were just stoked to finish it. So um, the atmosphere was great. Is that your experience, Nick? Yeah, like it's so funny, and you even see it from the pros too. Like they'll finish their race like at Unbound, and then they go back, have a shower, have something to eat, and they're back at the finish line till midnight, one, two o'clock, cheering other people cross the line. And I think there's a real acknowledgement that um, the effort for the general rider is just as much as, if not more for them, because they're out there putting in the same effort, but for longer to what they did. And, you know, I think sometimes maybe there's not really that same acknowledgement from a high level athlete to kind of finish your road race, they get the win, I'm off to the team bus having a shower and catch you later. Whereas there, it just seems like, everyone's all on the same level and there's a much more of an appreciation um, whether you're doing it in for unbound 10 hours or 20 hours. Um, you know, I really like that aspect of it. There's no kind of hierarchy, um, you know, which is such a great community to be a part of. Yeah. And I want to dive into your mindset a bit more around this because it's, it's a different, it's a totally different sport to kind of what cycling is. Cycling itself is already, endurance based and then you guys are just taking it to the next level and every week nick messages me and says come do this 700k race with me or (laughs) i just go nick i'm not i'm not interested in that but you just love it so explain why you love it and and tricky you can give an answer after as well but you know you're you're just taking this endurance to a to an ultra level and that extra level Uh, explain your love for it what what is it about it yeah, it's really funny. Um, I think I've always really liked the traditional long races on our calendar, which would be like the Melbourne to Warnable or Grafton to Inverell, which are like six, seven-hour races, and they're always the ones that I loved the most. Um, and then it's always been like, I think, how much more can I challenge myself? So I think there was the 
first off-road um, one that I trained for was the Thunderbolts Adventure Ride, which was, I think, 260Ks with 6,500 metres of climbing in New South Wales. And that took like 12 hours. Um, and it was incredibly tough. Like, I think we started at two o'clock in the afternoon and rode through the night and finished at like three o'clock in the morning. Um, not sure Jared would have appreciated me sending him a message at three in the morning saying, I won. I finished that and it's like, what's, what's the next challenge? Like how else can I challenge myself further than this? And then it was unbound. That's always, I think probably the, the biggest race for any gravel racer on the calendar of, that being such an epic challenge um, and was fortunate enough to go over and do that as well. And then finishing that, it's like, and I, where I've messaged you, Jordy, it's like, oh, there's this awesome race in Spain called Badlands. It's 700 Ks and seven and a half thousand metres of climbing. So it's kind of like almost just this finding where your limits are. Um, and yeah, I think that's really, that really excites me. Um, you know, road racing's great, um, but you almost get to a stage where you're racing the same people on similar courses. And I think I actually saw Trekkie reference this um, as well. And then this is just something completely new. There's so many different um, aspects and different dynamics and people that Trekkie wouldn't have raced before. Um, so it's all so new, which is, you know, so exciting. And I'm sure for Trekkie finding out where his limits are as well, even after all these years for him. It's funny, like here you do all this road racing, um, and you know you end up in in a bunch. For like, even if it's not in the front bunch, you know you're in, you're in a bunch, and you're you're kind of sucked along for the day. Um, generally, um, sometimes it goes really well, and you're out the front, and you're in group three or four or one or whatever. But um, you know, in the gravel, it's like um, there's just a bit extra grip during the day. You know, like on the road, the road's a bit stickier. Like you're you're having to work for the um, the speed a bit harder all day. So naturally, everyone's working a bit harder. Um, the group gets smaller, you know, like, and you're going to end up on your own at some point pretty well. Um, and I think then you're then you're on your own. You've got your own kind of challenge to get to the finish um, in the best place possible, um, whether that's winning or whether that's just completing. Um, you know, you've you've gotten through that like grit of the of the day um, and made it to the finish, um, which I think is like quite appealing for people. Um, and yeah, for me, like, I, I don't know what I'm finding is like the race seven hours um, race or like, you know, I'm doing some long training as well. Um, I feel like from four hours to like 10 hours now, it's just, it just almost feels the same. Like, I don't know, it's strange, but um, I think you just get really good at like kind of pacing yourself or managing your effort um, and fueling, I think. Fueling is a big one on the gravel because I think you're just generally, you're burning more calories and um, yeah, you need to like really be on top of that. Um, and if you're on top of that, then I feel like if you're well-trained, um yeah, the longer you go, you kind of, I don't know, it's not so different. Um, but for sure, like doing, completing a race is 200Ks or, you know, 300Ks, um, there's extra satisfaction in that for sure. Then, um, and, and like I say, you know, there's a portion of that you're going to have done by yourself um, and, and not be sucked along in a group. So you, it's kind of gratifying to um, know that you've, yeah, just by the nature of the beast that you've, um, 
got yourself through that race rather than um, being in a group and, and towed along at any given point sort of thing. We really have a, a period, I think, of people who are really challenging themselves um, in in across a lot of sports and and you see ultra marathon runners, you know, 100K runs, 160K runs, um, the Mont Blanc Challenge, I'm coaching Rachel to that. It's 160K. It's it's epic amount of elevation. You've got so many gravel races that are, you know, as Nick said, up to 600k long. And and you know, Ironman was the the big thing in the in the in the 80s, and it's almost like that's come back again, but in a different sport. And and people used to think back in the 80s, this sport won't last. Not many people want to do it. There's in 30 years, there's just been literally millions of people have done an Ironman, and and I do you think that gravel will have the same attraction? And it, there is something people want to do to challenge themselves. It's quite clear to me that that the longer, the harder, the more enduring, the better. And and do you see that in gravel as well? With I'm not just talking about you at your level. I'm talking about the age grouper, um, the 50 year old, you know, even the 20 year old who who just wants to ride his bike and be challenged. Do you do you see that as something that's that's going to really take off, or do you? Yeah, where do you see it going? Oh, for me, I think um, seeing it on the weekend. Um, yeah, I, I think. Um, I mean, here it's 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 on route. Like it's it's already it's a liftoff has happened. Like there's there's two thousand people taking on this um, crazy challenge, and uh, like Nick was saying, at Unbound, there's three thousand more, four thousand. Like um, people love the challenge, and yeah, like it, it's very adventurous as well. Um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't have likened to not that I've done an Ironman, but my my dad did. Um, so I know kind of a little bit, but like, it's it's not like Ironman um, in that sense. I wouldn't say um, definitely challenging, but like you you just get so far out into the um, course or whatever, and, and you end up by yourself, and shit goes wrong, and you've got to kind of be prepared. You got to carry your own stuff, and you got to be prepared for that. Um, so I think yeah, Nick, you can probably touch on like what. Um. Yeah, some of those challenges might be out there. Like, yeah, well, and even for me at Unbound, um, like we were in the second group on the road, and we were so far of everyone else, and I puncture, and it just being so much more self-sufficient, you got to learn to be able to almost problem solve. I think is a really big part of um this style of racing um as well, and I think I had um, three hours by myself out to the next feed zone. Um, a lot of it, there's no, um, there's no volunteers out on course telling you which way to go. They give you a GPX file, you upload it to your Garmin and you're doing it yourself. Um, so there's just so many different, um, elements to it that, um, yeah, well, absolutely it's a physical challenge because of the distance and the time. There's, um, so many other more mental challenges as well to it. It's just like almost this perfect combination of so many different dynamics into it, um, which I think everyone or people are finding so appealing. And it, it's funny, uh, you look at America and like you can't deny the amount of participants that do these events and there's so many of them. It's not like there's just one or two. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out in Australia, I think, um, because... Uh, these like I know we keep mentioning Unbound. It's like 330k. Is like it's an enormous challenge, and I don't quite think Australians are quite maybe up for that challenge like maybe Americans are at the moment. So a lot of our 
gravel races might be like 120 k's or 150 k's so it's going to be really interesting to see does it grow in the same way where it keeps getting um longer and and wilder or, or how it really starts to take take shape in australia will be really interesting it's definitely going to grow here there's no doubt about that it's just going to be what it looks like i think well, the dirty warning gave a bit of indication, didn't it? There was that first edition had how many, and and was immediately popular. Like, yeah, three hundred and fifty entrants, I think. Um, and then comparing it to um, the road edition, um, which I think only had like one hundred and twenty in the same year, I, it's a pretty good indication. I don't know Trekkie did it and actually won it, so you might be able to speak a bit more about that. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> and that's a particularly good. Um, I actually spoke about that race on the in the press um, conference the other day. They the question was, um, is there anything kind of like this back home? And yeah, I referenced that as an event. Um, not that it's really like the Belgian Waffle Ride, but um, it's a lot. Yeah, a lot more kind of gravel, just just plain old gravel, which is which is perfectly fine. Um, so yeah, I think there's something like that, and, and there's also something. Um, quite cool about a point to point you know like uh, if you're that's really like a journey um which is appealing i think to, although logistically challenging there is that um big element um of you know starting somewhere and, and finishing somewhere else like it's a yeah like my dad used to do like the um george bass like surf boat marathon he's like 10 of them which starts in um, batemans bay and finishes um in eden and part of me like yeah, I just remember that, and like each there was stages, obviously, but um, you know, you'd you'd send him off at one one spot, and then kind of do something for a bit, and then meet him at the finish. And I don't know, it's quite cool to know that he'd he'd been in a boat and headed out to sea, and and finished somewhere else. Like, and this is the same feeling um with the point to point in the like gravel racing. Like, you you go out, you start somewhere, you go out through the wilderness and you finish somewhere else and that's a real journey kind of feel so um yeah it, it's appealing to me and i think a lot of other people well one of the most used terms on this uh, podcast is three peaks i think we mention it every second episode uh, but it is a great example of a lot of things to do with training but dad i'd love to know your thoughts on a potential australian participation because there is this massive appeal among cyclists to do the three peaks challenge because it's an eight to ten or twelve hour cycling challenge and uh there is there would be a big element of the fact that not everyone can do an ironman not because they can't compete complete that endurance but because they either can't swim or they they can't run, you know. It's their bodies are just too worn down, or too had too many previous injuries where they actually just can't complete a marathon. And that is a limiter for triathlon. Whereas with cycling, a lot of people turn to cycling because it's a lot more injury free, despite crashing, etc. So I imagine that the amount of interest in something like Three Peaks uh, and the amount of inquiries we get, uh, Dad, would you agree that that shows there is a level of enthusiasm for more ultra endurance cycling events? Without doubt, George, I think it's a great example. Um, if people are, are really willing to do 4,000 metres of climbing, you know, and potentially 16 hours of riding, I would never have thought that in my wildest dreams that that event would be the event that, that it is now. And and it is one of the, the key events that cyclists go to for the challenge. It, it's And I think now that gravel is is appearing on the scene, all those three peak riders 
will transfer straight across to gravel riders. I've, I've, I've got no doubt in my mind that that's going to be, you know, the next big challenge and, and I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, and that's kind of brings me on to the next point. Do you think, Trekkie, that the training has any difference between doing a, a, an eight-hour, ten-hour three peaks compared to a, an unbound? Is there any area that you think you would you would be specifically honing in on differently, or is the training kind of generally the same? Oh, I think um, I think it would be different. I think generally in something like unbound or most other gravel races that aren't like so climby like a three peaks um you're traveling at a lot higher speed so um yeah i can see like you know for me i wouldn't do three peaks i think it sounds terrible but um (laughs) like that's hilarious i just yeah well i just like the idea of um going quick so if there's some climb somewhere obviously that's that is what it is but like so I think just grinding all day up, up climbs is like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, in terms of training, um, I think there would be changes. Um, I think those also those, those road riders probably would need to spend some time off road on the gravel, um, to get a feel for, and like I say, like, you know, you're not, um, I guess in three peaks you go up and then you have to obviously descend the, the climbs as well. Um, so that's that's not something that really happens so much like um whereas the gravel's more like like I was saying earlier like you just feel that the road's a bit more grippy you know um so there's kind of load there all day um so I think yeah you would probably change um the training a bit in terms of you're not doing like one hour long effort and then flipping it and going back down you're kind of doing yeah a, a long generally um a long um you know, five, five, six, seven, ten hours um, with with grip on the road the whole day. So, um, yeah, I think it's different in that sense for sure, um, from my perspective anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think one of the things that, um, like Jared and I discussed post-unbound is a lot of my longer training rides, so I would do between six and eight hours um, and ride out to a local race, do the race, ride back, Um on my road bike and I think looking back at Unbound the one thing that I probably would have changed with with my training would have been doing seven eight hour rides on the gravel I think there is a big difference between doing that seven hours on the road as opposed to gravel and I really liken it to riding on the kicker is similar to riding on the gravel it just feels like there's always a resistance there and there's no free k's um you know so I think you know, there is very much different training for the gravel, even though very similar um, concepts in terms of you can't just do all zone two training and think that that's going to be all good because you're doing a six, seven, eight, ten hour event. Um, you know, even somewhere like Unbound that was um, flat, you still needed to do VO2 work there because there were still short one to three minute climbs where it was really important to have that top end as well. So there definitely are some similarities but i don't think they're still one in the same 
this is a great topic and um, I want to keep diving into the training because um, I know that there will be some listeners whose mouths are watering at the thought of some of these challenges and it's actually why we wanted to do this podcast because we're excited, Nick, that you started it and it's a really exciting uh, sport to be in and you're someone that has recently made over the last few years that, that kind of big bigger transition from road cycling into this and so how did you find that uh, shift in t- terms of training and efforts and spending more time off-road um, and learning that craft? Um, oh, it definitely brings another really unique element to your training and one that um, for me I loved is that you are exploring a whole new world on your endurance ride. So, um, you know, just being a road cyclist before transferring to gravel is I've basically had ridden every road in Ballarat within a two, three-hour radius. So you knew every road like the back of my hand and it's almost like gravel opened up a completely new world. Um and you kind of can't really necessarily switch off on the gravel as well. Like there's so many different elements and obstacles. Um, so more of a, a technical element um, that you're always got to be switched on um, for amazing scenery, um, you know, that you come across um, as well. Um, but then just, yeah, I guess the more racing I did starting to learn the nuance of it as well. Um, like I touched on before, I think, doing zone two on a road bike compared to zone two on the gravel isn't the same thing, even though you're in the same zones. Um, you know, so it was really learning the requirements about this style of racing. Um, and the style of racing is progressing as well. Um, I'm sure going back five years ago, unbound, I know like a, a guy by the name of Ted King, Ted King won, I think maybe three of them. Um, and he was an ex world tour rider. Um, so already had an unbelievable base, but he explained the races are basically just like a war of attrition and, and probably for the most part, a lot of zone two. Whereas um, now, like even with Belgium waffle ride that Trekkie just did on the weekend, it was incredibly aggressive for the star. Like Trekkie was in a move of, with a couple of people from the gun and it's almost, I liken it a bit to what we saw in um, the, the Belgium classics is you've got, guys like Wout making it hard with 110Ks to go, where we just didn't see that or a break forming would usually just kind of slip off the front where now they're trying for like two hours and that's how this is progressing as well. So it's not just a matter of having a really good endurance base and that's kind of it. So it's a really interesting dynamic now about the training required for it. That's an awesome point. Uh, and we, as always, we like getting super specific with training. So um, you've got race one coming up, Trekkie, of the Lifetime Grand Prix Series, plus you were training for the race in the weekend. Take us through the last block, the last month of training. What were you doing specifically uh, to, to prepare? Yeah, um, well, even just before that, like I did a, a, a lot of like, you know, really just big loads. Um, maybe eight weeks before I was doing, yeah, like 27, 28, 30 hour weeks um, with not too much structure then. But then I, I really went into some structure in the last kind of six weeks. Um, a lot of actual um, like talk efforts. So really low cadence um, has done a number on my back, which is not great. But um, uh, I think there's still benefit that I've got from that. So like six minutes. Uh, six minute efforts um, and not really more than six of them um, which is different for me normally I'd build up to 10 12 that kind of area but I've kind of I've actually got a new coach but um, I yeah stick around that kind of four to six in a session um, 
six minutes, four or six minutes long, um, really low cadence, that sort of work. Um, and then, for instance, I was doing these longer days, like um, a week or a week before I came, I did like a seven, seven and a half hour ride on a Sunday with, um, yeah, in the early part, we did like, I did three by 30 minutes at like um, zone three, kind of, I don't know, like 330 watts or something. Um, so for quite firm um, for me and 30 minutes long and three of them, um, which is also good because it passed, you know, with the recovery, it probably passes two hours or, or more. Um, and then in the last hour and a half, I went um, for like four by 10 minutes, just just all out pretty much. Um, so that's after like six hours, you start that effort. So it's my kind of thinking is after three and a half thousand kilojoules, that kind of mark is when you want to start kind of racing, I guess. So once, and once you get into that, you know, there, there's, there's actually a, you got to be able to get to that first, like burn that many kilojoules and then, you know, just complete. But then if, if you can get to that and then start doing some interval, interval work and um, actually start to do some racing at, after that many, um, that much work, um, that's where I think I'm going to find the gains um, personally. Just um, I've, I've always been okay, you know, over the longer distance, but um what I need to do is lift to another level. And I think, yeah, being able to, to kind of do that, those, that sort of work in the last um, couple of hours of a seven, eight hour day is, is where I'm going to see yeah benefit for myself. And I, I think, yeah, people kind of wanting to follow the same kind of races and um, yeah, I mean, the, the reason I'm doing it is because yeah, at the front is going to be that's when the moves are going right like although earlier as well it's different following moves after 3000 kilojoules than it is um you know at the start so um yeah that's my kind of rationale with with the training focus how is that looking um that's your endurance specific type of uh race preparation what do, what do the other sessions look like during that week when you've done a 7 hour with you know 4 by 10 minutes of really threshold at, at your at your limit what does it look like after that and a few days later and is there any other intensity sessions that you're doing during the week um to be honest not not really um other than those those talk efforts which are actually they end up being quite um yeah it's at like it can be up to 100 um newton meters which um i don't know how, if people are doing these efforts as well but um you end up with a really that's it's it's probably beyond threshold by the end of six minutes. So um, this real low cadence work is pretty new for me, especially at you know there's the old school SE which is just grinding away um, with you know you might be like zone three or four. This is probably higher, um, and especially by the end it really starts to yeah to escalate I guess. Um, um yeah so beyond those and then those longer couple of days in the week where i'm doing threshold towards the end um yeah the rest is probably just yeah more more endurance work um i I find that enough to be honest um i might have the occasional like um 45 second kind of those vo2 
um, sets, but yeah, the 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 low cadence and then those longer days of threshold are kind of um, my focus at the moment. We we had Dylan Johnson on the podcast, and he spoke about how last season one thing he would like to try and do differently is avoid a bit of burnout that he felt. He just felt with the relentless racing, um, he was not recovering that well, um, and probably in patches just did a little bit too much in between, um, and then try to keep topping up that that endurance fitness um, and kept up the long rides in weekends where he wasn't racing. And then he found by the end of the season he'd he'd really just cooked it. So this is pretty tough for you because you're trying to do this series um, traveling from Oz. Um, you're not staying in America. That's correct. You're not staying in America the entire time. You're traveling back and forth. Is that right? No. Well, I'm going to – I'm doing this first trip um, and I'm going to come back next week and, and yeah, I've got like five weeks at home, which I will just purely use um, to train for – well, and see the family, of course, um, and train for uh, – train for um, – unbound and onwards uh, well the rest of the season basically but once i come back um at the start of june i'll stay here till october and yeah the family come over for three months as well um yeah and then how do you plan on uh, approaching that um that load management and um, avoiding that same feeling yeah i think um i'm in a really good spot at the moment um i don't like I'm not here this weekend as round one um, sort of expecting the challenge for the win as such. Um, I'm probably like in the ballpark and I think I've made really good gains in the last, um, yeah, six or eight weeks. And I think I have probably gone to closer to that level that I want to be at. Um, But yeah, I'm also mindful of like, you know, the the series itself actually just really suits me. So if I can have consistent rides at every event, you know, um, that's going to be my strength. And I think that's what I need to focus on. So like coming up really well for um, eight, one race, I'm probably not going to try and do, I think. Um, and I mean, it's, it's interesting because we've not really had to worry about a series um, before, especially one that lasts from – yeah, now till um, the end of the year, basically. Um, so it will be new and, and uh, maybe I'll find the same challenges that, that Dylan did. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go pretty heavy in the early part of the season and then I guess try and manage like like maybe better than perhaps he was able to um, throughout. So, yeah, I'll be in Colorado Springs, so I'll actually be a bit of altitude um, as a base, um, which I think I'll just have to be careful with a bit. Um, there is another – there's a couple of events at altitude as well, Leadville. Um, so, yeah, it, it, to be honest, I'm not all across it and it could – I could fall in a heap, <laughs> but um, we'll see. I think generally my body copes well with the load. Um, it definitely has in the past. Um but yeah, this is a, this is a new challenge for sure. So um, yeah, Nick, take us through. Uh, firstly, just take us through exactly what the series is uh, for the listener. And I mean, it's a big reason why you started the podcast. You fell in love with it. Uh, you love observing it. You're very across uh, all the riders, how the events work. So explain to the listeners you know, what it is and, and kind of why you started a podcast around it, as well as all other you know, types of riding. 
Yeah, it's definitely one I fell in love with, George. Um, it's just a, a completely new world um, around gravel, which is something obviously I'm so passionate about, especially after getting to race unbound um, and getting to experience um, the culture there, all the athletes, the different abilities, um, the environment, the crowds, the expos. Um, but the Lifetime Series is now seven races. I'm pretty sure, Trek, is that right? It was six. Yeah, now it's seven. They've added in um, uh, a new event this year, but basically there's a split between mountain bike events and gravel events. Um, and it's really unique in terms of what we were talking about is it literally lasts the whole year. Um, so they're all one-day races and, um, you know, it's so dynamic in terms of you've got a two-, three-hour mountain bike race at um, Sea Otter this weekend, for example, um, and then you've got a 10-hour long 330K gravel race. Um, so the requirements, you know, are so different and everyone has – every event has their different challenge. Um whether it be Leadville at altitude that are super long climbs um, or, you know, a technical um, mountain bike race. So um, there's just so many different elements to it. And I, I kind of love also uh, that there's no teams. It's just individuals. Um, their approaches are all very different. They've got their own sponsors. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are gravel pros, so that this is what they get to do for a living. They get to pick and choose what events they do. Um, so, yeah, I guess just the whole, um, not necessarily this event, but the whole um, gravel discipline I, I think is so exciting. Um, and then to have a series where there's 250,000 um, American up for grab for the, the winner of who accumulates the most points throughout the series really does make it something that you can do for a living um, so to have something separate from world tour riding, which is um, you know, basically um, probably the best form of, of a cyclist for, for getting paid. I'm sure the top mountain bikers do as well. But, um, yeah, it's super exciting um, to have this new form of racing um, that's just so unique and different to anything that we've had before. Um, only 35 people get selected, both men and women. So that makes it even more um, intriguing and more impressive for, for Trekkie to get into um, I think sometimes we take for granted, like, you know, we've seen Trekkie on the Australian scene for so long doing mountain biking and um, national road series, but he's done a handful of gravel races. Um, so then to go over and be, even get selected for this series, as well as Tasman Nankervis um, from Australia as well, and then Ala Bloor, um, an Australian competing in the women's side, um, I think this will really help grow this scene in Australia as well. So um, it's really fascinating to watch and see how it plays out. I don't want to put you on the spot here, but yeah, I know you're a, um, you're a big fan of Trekkie's work and what he's done, and that's why you had him uh, on the first episode. Uh, and how do you think he, he's going to stack up against the other 34 um, riders in the Lifetime Series? What, what do you see um, him going as? It's uh, a good question. Um, I'm a bit jealous of Trekkie because I uh, I applied for the Lifetime Series as well and didn't get in. Explain um, that application process just briefly. Uh, you you do speak about it on your on that first episode. Um. Yeah, it's it's quite intense, and, and Trekkie can maybe touch on it quickly as well. But um, uh, a lot of it, I guess, having to show competency across both mountain bike and gravel is a part of it. I probably wouldn't even say it's the majority part of it, but a lot of it centers around how you're going to grow gravel riding in America or as a sport. Um, you know, so I guess it's great 
to have to see that they've got that front of mind on how the sport is being grown as well, rather than just trying to get athletes with the best results. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite a long and detailed process as well. It kind of wasn't just sending your top results or anything like that. There was a lot of questions that required a lot of detail and a thought out approach to it. Um, Trek, you might be able to speak to that a little bit more. Yeah, I think um, and and having made it through that process and um, gotten in like further to that they're so on that you can really see what the goal is and it's not um, well the number one goal is not to um, get the bet like get the best guys and have uh, and, and just the racing it's the goal is to grow the sport and what I think America does really well is um, is brings people from outside the sport into it and lets them and shows shows it to them, um, and I can see that that's what they're trying to do, um, like with coverage and um, engagement. Like they're they're so on the front foot. Um, like even this weekend, they're they're trying to get everyone's um, all the athletes kind of personal sponsorship engagements. They're promoting them. They want to know about it. They want to get because this is a huge expo weekend. Um, and yeah, you can just see that the drive is to grow the sport, which um, is actually quite cool to be a part of. Um, because, like Nick, um, myself, I'm actually um, passionate about it. Um, I, I think it's really cool, and I think yeah, I think we will see, um, like you say, these these people who are doing the epic road challenges. I think potentially those those road challenges have their days numbered as well with the road closures and that sort of thing so yeah this is a, a market where I, I can see um those people coming and and why not because like we spoke about the the journeys the um adventure um the challenge it's all kind of rolled into one even the the race promoters have got more opportunity um, with less costs for for having to close roads and get permits from you know local authorities and police it's i just think it's got so many positive aspects to it and you can't have races without people running them um, and if the process to run a race is far more seamless then there's going to be more opportunity to hold more races and and as you said earlier on the podcast you just can't close roads for that length of time um, and and really you know the, the local population will be up in arms whereas you know when you're off road it's it's just got so much more opportunity and I'm sure race directors don't want to run races that haven't got enough people in it to make enough money so they need to have the numbers and and I think the numbers are just people are voting with their feet aren't they it's it's uh it's a it's a, a great opportunity for uh, for people who are wanting to. I know there's a lot of road riders who want to race, but there's just not enough races um, and not enough people in them to to be to have some fun with com- competition. So this is this seems to be the next step. No, it's it's super exciting, and um, it's why we wanted to to do this episode, as we said at the start, to um, shine light on it and. Um, we we've loved learning about it and we've we've loved watching it so we can't see wait to see how this next kind of season unfolds and uh, Nick I kind of wanted to finish off by you telling us uh, yeah what your goals are for the Alt Route podcast um, what you've got coming up this year and and what you want listeners to know about it yeah I think the biggest thing um, for the Alt Route podcast is just uh, showing people that might not be aware of this discipline in this world um, how great it is. 
Um, I think it is going to be the future um, in America. Uh, yeah, just getting to share different people's stories. So if we can even start to get, um, I think we're going to have Isabel King on the next um, podcast. Um, so getting to share the stories um, of some of the American writers and um, just whether that's being the Lifetime series, whether that's people um, doing uh, like the Indie Pack Ride in Australia. There's so many amazing events and um, different people with different stories and different challenges. Um, so get to share that um, with the listeners um, and as well as different setups and bikes and places to ride around the world. I, I think there's just so much that we can cover and, and share with people, which I think is really exciting. No, I'm pumped for it. I, I love um, that you started it because you just you're super passionate about this and you're so across um, everything involved in it. You just you're you've got your pulse on the finger massively, and so can't wait to hear the conversations you're going to bring around it. And you did um, pick Trekkie for episode one for a reason. Um, he's got plenty of unreal results to his name already. Can you give us a brief outline of uh, why you rate him as a writer and why you had him in, on episode one and what the listeners can look forward to in episode one? Trekkie's results really speak to himself across all disciplines. Uh, he's ridden the Cape Epic. He's third in the Australian National Championships on the road, overall winner. Uh, the National Road Series, Australian Gravel Champion, um, the list goes on. Um, I was very interested to see how Trekkie would go in the Lifetime Series, but I think one thing about Trekkie is no matter what level he goes to or what step up he goes to, whether that's from the National Road Series to Nationals, is he always makes that step. Um, and even though he's um, a phenomenal writer, he doesn't just rely on that. He's very inquisitive, wants to talk to people that have gone there, done it, have the experience. Um, and I think he's done the same for the Lifetime Series, which is why he goes into race one after a couple of series and does really well. Um, so I think he's going to be right up there and, and really excited to see his journey. And then him also really helped grow the sport by doing this series here in Australia as well. Unreal. So if you want to hear more about his story, there's heaps to it. He's, you've had a really uh, cool journey. Um, you had some big challenges, which you actually talk about in that first episode of um, your cancer diagnosis and then getting through that and then getting back to this point now, which is pretty amazing to hear. Um, so it's it's an awesome episode. Go listen to it. The Alt Route podcast is now on all, all podcasting platforms. I uh, can't wait to hear, hear what you guys have got planned for the year. And as we said, Trekkie, you're going to be jumping on episodes throughout the whole year to um, go through the races as they come in the lifetime series talk about your experiences talk about experiences with other athletes so we can't wait to hear it thanks Trekkie, for for jumping on i really appreciate your time yeah all good no i'm i'm actually really um pleased that yeah you guys and, and nick have um collaborated and um yeah it should, should give me another um avenue or or um vehicle to kind of bring bring the stories from here um back home um, and I think people are interested and um, hopefully, yeah, more and more become interested. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you, uh, everyone, for listening as always and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.